0: We are the cast of Amelia and we're having so much fun taking over the vaudeville theatre with our fantastic new play. Thank you so much to everybody that's already been.
1: The response has been incredible. We're building something here and we need your support. We're breaking convention just by being in the West End. A new play by a living, breathing woman. (laughs) We have loads
0: of jokes and the forgotten story of a kick-ass feminist from 400 years ago. It's like a hen party for the woke. (laughs) But change like this takes time and we're not gonna run forever like Les Mis. So you've only got a few weeks to get organized and come and join us. And show people that we demand more women's voices on our stages. And if you've already come, then come again. Bring a friend, bring a teenager. Bring your mum, bring your mum's mum. Bring your dad or your brother.
1: And if you don't live in London, we have a Saturday matinee performance or come for the weekend. We've got shows Monday through to Saturday with two afternoon shows and some great seats for as little as
2: £25.
0: For more information, visit www.ameliatheplay.com. Come I'm a feminist, but the best thing about co-hosting this episode of The Guilty Feminist with Hari Kondabolu is that if it sucks, everyone will blame the man. (laughs) I never to co host the show, gang. And all of the other episodes for three years have been great, so there's zero pressure on me tonight.
3: I'm a feminist, but I ruined a woman's life once. But enough about my mom.
0: <laughs> I'm a feminist. But the best thing about performing in this spectacular Victoria Hall here in Geneva is the acoustics in the dressing room are created for opera singers warming up. And because it's Christmas, I did a full rendition on my own of Santa Baby. And because my voice sounded so fine in the dressing room, I I kind of went on a bit. But I felt bad about the lyrics because they're not very feminist. So I tried to change it. So I sort of ad-libbed it a bit. This is what I went for. Santa Baby... Close the pay gap for me, you see. Been an awful good girl, Santa baby. So smash my patriarchy tonight. Da da da, da da da, da da da. But I realized it just made the terms pay gap and patriarchy both sound like euphemisms for vagina. <laughs>
3: I'm a feminist, but I don't like to call myself a feminist because I haven't earned it. A male feminist could easily be a wolf in sheep's clothing, or rather, a dick in sheep's clothing. (laughs) What I'm saying is I don't trust myself.
0: I'm a feminist, but I love continental European sound engineers because... Earlier tonight, when the Swiss-French engineer had to attach a battery pack for my headset mic to my bra, he just unzipped my dress with authority, put it on and zipped me back up with no embarrassment. British men get so nervous doing this, they just end up going, wouldn't you rather have a hand mic? And please don't tell me that's the Me Too movement because they've been doing this since Friends was on the television. I'm telling you. They just get nervous of the whole thing. And I'm so used to it. I do it all the time. It's my job. It's their job. There's nothing lascivious about it. Just pop the thing on my bra and let's get on with the day's work. You're making it seem sexual by the way that your hands are shaking and your breathing has deepened. (laughs) You can't get a decent sound engineer to put a battery on your bra in Britain. Nowhere. Nowhere in the British Isles.
3: And that's why uh, we need to get more immigrants up to the UK to be sound engineers.
0: That's right, my friends.
3: I mean, you, Kip, doesn't want to hear that, but it's the truth. (laughs) I'm a feminist, but I still haven't seen Beyoncé's Lemonade. However, I have pretended that I have seen it. (laughs) Which brings me back to my previous point. I don't trust myself.
0: Very good. Very good confessional. Well done. Live from the Victoria Hall in Geneva, Switzerland... For the United Nations, The Spontaneity Shop presents The Guilty Feminist with me, Deborah Frances White, guest co-host Harry Kondabolu, and very special guest Uma Kondabolu, talking about International Migrants' Day. Now, we understand this is a bilingual gig. Harry has no French. I have a small amount, so we'll just do a bit of comedian interaction.
3: Okay. In French?
0: Oh, no, you, well, you don't speak any, so I'll have to do mine in French. You do yours in English. I Merci. Know. That was French. You've already broken the rules. Ah.
3: Merci beaucoup.
0: (laughs) So you've used your two words. Yep. Yep. Good. Um, All right. So you can say anything you like, and then we'll just, I'll do mine in French. I'll come back in French with whatever I have.
3: So just anything?
0: Oh, yeah. Just like, you know, welcome to the guilty feminist, you know, anything like that. Uh,
3: Welcome to the guilty feminist.
0: Avez vous du Coca Cola Light, s'il vous (laughs) plaît?
3: Are you enjoying your time in Geneva?
0: Avez-vous des poissons?
3: Is there anything else you'd like to do or perhaps get while you're in Geneva? Avez-vous
0: du vin blanc, s'il vous plaît? <laughs> um, So that was the French bit. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, Merci. Merci.
3: Merci. Merci beaucoup. Merci
0: beaucoup. <laughs> How was that, French people? French speakers? You are a lot more polite than French people are advertised to be, and thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, So we should begin the Guilty Feminist. We're talking about migrants, because you may have noticed this is Migrants Day in the UN. This is the first ever episode of the Guilty Feminist produced by the United Nations. (laughs) I didn't see it coming any more than you did. (laughs) This episode is produced by the United Nations and the city of Geneva. Thank you for ever having heard of my podcast and inviting me here. And thank you for also inviting Hurry here at the same time, accidentally, so that he could also be sitting next to me. That
3: is correct. That is correct. Please put your hands together for Mrs. Deborah Francis White. <laughs>
0: Thank you so much, Charles. Uh, Hello, just give us a cheer if you are now, or have ever been an immigrant. (laughs) Give us a cheer if you've never left Switzerland with any intention of staying longer than a week anywhere else. Just one, just one person. (laughs) He's not prepared to cheer about it though. He's like, no, uh, I'm legally not allowed to travel because of that incident in 1978. Uh, uh, Just shout out somewhere you've lived that is not the place you were born. What was that? Geneva? Geneva? You're an immigrant here. We've got one, guys. We've found one. You're an immigrant here. Where were you born? Canada. And you're all the way here. So this is Canada to Switzerland. Can I just ask about Canada at the moment? What's it like waking up every morning and thinking, Justin Trudeau is in charge of me? He makes all my decisions in a way. I have to obey Justin Chido. Is it a little bit Fifty Shades of Grey? That's what I'm asking. Enjoyably, like obviously Justin doesn't know you're doing this, but are you secretly doing that a little bit? No, we'll start. Start, I'm thinking about applying for Canadian citizenship, not even bothering to live there. Just living out that particular fantasy. Great, Anybody's shout out another place you've lived that wasn't the place you were born? Canada. You've gone the other way. Where did you come from? Ukraine. Ukraine to Canada. And where do you live now? Geneva. Geneva. You get around. Are you get around? Why did you move there? Studying. Studying? Did what are you doing here? Work. Well, okay, it's very limited to what you're prepared to share. <laughs> are, you, are you a spy? Because you're really not studying nothing, working nowhere. <laughs> spy or drug dealer? Spy or drug dealer? It's not clear. What are you doing for work? You work at the UN? Spy. (laughs) Amazing, amazing. What do you do at the UN? You develop trade in the developing world? well you're better than us and always will be. Does anyone else feel slightly intimidated by that? She's just helping the developing world. What are you doing in the morning, sir? Who have you helped us? Have you helped a struggling nation get on its feet from its knees? because white people have ruined everything is that what she is you no know, you're just staring at me mesmerized like a somebody in the headlights oh no, I'm, I'm talking to look I'll, honestly I'll talk to anyone who'll talk back to me so uh, you you seem open <laughs> are you French speaking okay are we in bibliothèque you're not going to tell me you're going to give me any directions to a library listen, uh, it it's very limited but I'll use what I've got, I'll take it for a spin around the block, any time I'm allowed out of the house somewhere French speaking your direction, how old are you? Oh, no, no, sorry quel âge est-tu? should it be vous? he's younger than me two is two okay? okay, alright sorry, let's go again quel <clears> age <throat> Dizwit? Yes. Hmm. Have you seen The Graduate? <laughs> he's too young. That's the point of the joke, mate. That's... Oh, do you mean he's younger than The Graduate was? Yes. Yeah. I know, but... In that film, Justin Hoffman was like 30 and Annette Bening was like 34 because that's the way Hollywood works. It's sexist, it's not fair. You're 18 now and you've got, you're sitting there with your male privilege. It's absolutely fine for me to make that joke. I've decided. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm an immigrant, but I am the kind of immigrant that uh, the far right tabloids in uh, Britain like um, because I'm white. Um, and I, my English is my first language, and I, when I first got to England, I worked as a nanny. I'm basically Mary Poppins. Um, she also had visa issues, and we know that because she came in on a flying umbrella. I'm telling you, she was also, much like me, the creation of an imaginative Australian woman. You need to know more about Mary Poppins to understand that joke. That's not my fault, that's yours. (laughs) I don't feel, I don't feel that's my problem at all. But I'm very aware that wherever I go, I have English language privilege. I think that's something we don't talk about a lot. We talk about white privilege, we talk about male privilege, we talk about straight privilege. Uh, We don't talk about English language privilege very much. But I can go to any yoga class in the world and pretty much assume it's gonna be in English. That's insane, isn't it? I can come out onto the stage in Geneva and talk, just randomly talk in English, hoping you'll understand the punchlines, and a good 80% of you do. Okay, well only 10% understood that one. It's a numbers game, gang. It's a numbers game. But wherever you are, if you speak English, the expectation is on the other person to understand. And you don't see that from, you see English people all around the world or native English speakers getting angry when people don't understand them. You see native English speakers, you'll see them in Geneva getting sort of angry with people in restaurants going, I said I wanted it, well done. And not only is the waiter judging them because they're shouting at them in English and the waiter's like, I don't have to speak this language. I live here. But secondly, they're judging you because you've asked for your steak, well done. It's two-pronged. It's two-pronged. But you see that. You don't see Japanese people in London shouting at people in Japanese and going, you don't speak Japanese? What's this shit? They have a fair expectation that if they ever leave Japan, that's the end of them being understood. They just have to work it out. Wherever they are, they have to learn to speak the language. Um, So I'm I'm loving it. Are you from Geneva? Yes. Yes. And you... You are born in Madrid. Oh, working? Oh, okay. There's a man like six down who's corrected him and said, he doesn't mean born in, he means working in. Now, I don't know if that's some incredible mansplaining. <laughs> a man is just like, he doesn't mean that. Or actually, if he knows this person, do you know him? Why do you think he means working? That's what you heard, but you said born in, didn't you? Okay, so that's male privilege, English-speaking privilege, white privilege, all rolls into one. And I'm guessing you're, a, you're, you're currently not living in the country that you were born in. Where were you born? In Canada. It's so pop. Just give us a cheer if you're from Canada. I need to know more. But I don't have any more time. So, if all the Canadians would meet me in the bar after the show and explain themselves, I'd really appreciate it. I've been to Frostify, thank you. So, our guest today uh, is very special. In keeping with the theme, she is a migrant. She is also a physician and a remarkable, a remarkable woman. So I would like to present to you, with full disclosure from Hurry.
3: She's, uh, she's, she's my mother.
0: <laughs> the wonderful Uma Kondabolu!
4: <laughs> Hi there, dog
0: come sit sit (laughs)
4: thank
0: you all right
3: it might surprise people but it was harder to book her than I thought
0: (laughs) I thought it was a bit odd that she made you go through her agent
3: I find it I find it out that my father is her agent
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, so Irma thank you so much for joining us
4: (laughs) my pleasure
0: um, so tell us, it's Migrants Day, we're here at the UN, who are really uh, the drivers of human rights. Uh, could you tell us, how was it first being a migrant to America from India? Like, what was that like, and particularly as yes, a female migrant?
3: Also, what were the traumatic circumstances that brought you to America?
4: My marriage. <laughs> I feel like you're leading the witness there, Harry. Right. <laughs> As an Indian woman, even though a little bit educated, my parents said, I think this guy would be good for you. Uh, As a good old daughter, I said, whatever you think is right for me is good because I know I can change him at some point. (laughs)
2: For
4: sure. Uh, Good to know. know. uh, And I was young and inexperienced. I didn't know how difficult it was at that time. What, to change a man? Uh, yes.
0: Okay, you weren't fully informed. Had your mother told you it would be fine,
4: you can change him, and then you found out that's I true. didn't speak to my mom. I was so confident. I thought, it's no matter. I'm going to change him.
0: <laughs> so you went to... That he was in America at this point? Yes. And so you went to America. Had you met him?
4: Uh, no, he came for the wedding. It was arranged. Wow. So that's a lot of bravery, I think, to yeah. get on a plane. I, I, every day I, I congratulate myself on my... Rightly so. And you had been
0: a doctor in India?
4: Yes. How old were you? Uh, 27. So you were
0: a 27-year-old working woman, you are a doctor, you've got your life going on. Were you a GP? (laughs) Yes. You're a GP. You you live in the life of a doctor and suddenly you pitch up in America. Talk about fate. Talk about fate. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. What was it like when you turned up to
4: America and suddenly found yourself married? You know, you know about it, being educated and seen a little bit and talk to people. I was art as kid, But, you know, language is the main thing people are afraid of when you go to a new place. But that's no problem to me, so I was start in English. Could you already speak English? Yes. Well, that was some good forethought. Yes. Uma. Uh, yeah. Yes. Yes. It's a good thing the
3: British showed up when they did, because otherwise it would have been a lot harder. Uh,
0: Again, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I am not... Well, I am British, but I'm dual with Australian. It doesn't make me feel any better, because the people who went to Australia who were white, it's all part of colonialism, is what I'm saying. I'm just sorry for being white. Now, so you turned up, and were you able to
4: continue to be a doctor in America? Um... Yeah, I came and uh, I just saw my husband during the wedding and it's months past I was wondering do I recognize him or not <laughs> I hope I don't go out with another man <laughs> so I told him on the phone wear the shirt I bought you <laughs> so and then immediately he left because he didn't have leave no vacation uh, so I just came he wore the shirt <laughs> so I followed him home
0: You, you've got to hope somebody else doesn't have the same shirt at that point. Uh, luckily, no. Yeah. So I
4: came with the right man. Yes. Uh, I went home and then he has three, his brother and two other guys there. He was living with uh, roommates. And six o'clock came and everybody was looking at me. Woman is here, maybe she'll make food for us. <laughs> And
0: you, before this time, of course, you're a doctor. You're doing your own thing, and now suddenly this expectation on you to cook a meal.
4: Yeah, and I just never made food at home because I was away at the dormitory and studying and practicing. And in India, mothers cook, and there are help, so I never had to go make anything. Plus
3: that wasn't, I mean, you've told me just, it was never the expectation, of uh, you. the, your expectation was, was to go to school and, uh, and do as do well. well as in of, studies. Right. Which at the time was a bit of an anomaly, right? Like there weren't uh, lots of women in But
4: here. as a married woman, I know my rules change and my roles change and whole lot. So I went and opened the refrigerator. I found two tomatoes and some onions. It's a man's room. Yeah. Uh, so I looked at it like a scientist. <laughs> and went and made something. Whatever I opened, I put this little bit of this, little bit of that and made rice. And I was crossed my fingers and smiled brightly. And dad wasn't tasting anything, I think, because it's a new wife around him. He's okay. (laughs) But other guys were like eating and I was tense. And everybody said, oh boy, you cook very good food and we are lucky. I said, boy, I'm lucky today, and hope they don't ask me tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you were like, oh, God, I'm a one-hit wonder, and I have to up something else. Deborah, surprising or not, I never made a bad dish so far. I think it's my genetics, or maybe I, uh, I'm just... Nice. Luck, luck favors me or something. <laughs>
0: yeah. So then
4: you had children in America. Yes. What was that like, going from being a doctor to having children? I dis- we decided that until they reach certain age and start going to school, I shouldn't work at one point. Because first of all, uh, I don't want my children to be raised by babysitters. With one income we can manage. Um, so I didn't work, my husband worked. And I taught them and it was the best time in my life. Oh, that's lovely. And raising my kids. Uh, Harry at that time, was a good kid.
3: <laughs> at that time. At well, that time. At that time.
2: So,
0: at what age did he start disappointing you? Uh, 14,
4: 15.
3: 14, 15 I was it, hoping you would say, like, 28,
4: 29. <laughs> uh, like, when I look back, I think uh, you were very subtle, but very manipulative. <laughs> nice manipulation and loving manipulation. Uh, and I fell for it, being the first-time mother.
3: <laughs> we brought you to Geneva for this?
4: <laughs>
3: this is terrible. <laughs> Cross an ocean and tell me that you were a disappointing 14-year-old. I didn't mean, I meant to say it 20 years ago, but now in front of a thousand people. And now
4: I'm okay with it. Now you're okay with I'm it? With well, it. you've just reconciled yourself. Yes. And yeah. yes. brother came along and made him look like great kid. <laughs> <laughs> and how
0: was it being in America as a woman from India did you experience was it difficult the weather was different was there racism okay. Was were uh, Americans welcoming to you uh,
4: yes uh, this is some funny stuff <laughs> <gasps> my husband is not a very talkative person unless he wants to he's not very information sharing guy uh, first time I, one day I saw snow so I said, let's go to temple. And we took a bus and he's like, we didn't have a car yet. And I wore shoes which I got from India. He didn't tell me it is cold and it's snowy, slippery. So I wear shoes and no socks. I wear sari like this. We went to temple. On my way there, just two blocks from temple, one of the heels falls out from my shoe. So I'm walking like this, (laughs) it looked like I'm limping. Even then he doesn't tell me, take these shoes off, it's quite close, I'm still limping. And when I went there, and on the way back I think I had a sweater I wore and came home. Next morning my friend comes, oh boy, New York is cold. And she said, where is your winter apparel? I said, what? I said, you need a coat, gloves, shoes, whole bit. I said, like, okay, Uh, and then evening he comes home. I said, dude, what is this? (laughs) (laughs) You are freezing me and uh, you didn't tell me. I thought you knew you like this. I said, I don't feel my feet, do you think I like it? (laughs) (laughs) So next day we went and bought whole coat and whatnot. and second thing like I said I don't like America, I'm washing clothes every week like I didn't know there were laundromats. He, this guy didn't, doesn't tell me there are laundromats you don't have to wash like washroom. So every day afternoon I wash clothes which I never did in my life and drying them outside in like in the backyard. So finally, I met a neighbor who is an Indian. This is after seven months, six months. And she said, where are you going? I said, "Uh, I'm bringing laundry and I'm drying it. I said, why? "Uh, We have laundromats. I said, excuse me, what is that? (laughs) I said, in America, we don't wash like this. And she took me, showed me how to run laundromats. Again, I said, hey, dude, what is this? (laughs) He goes, I thought you liked it. (laughs) Who likes washing sheets every day? So you were hand washing them? Hand washing with soap and drying and putting. And And he was not really showing you the ropes of America? He went to work and comes back, and he doesn't know
0: what day... so, was it actually other migrants who were kind
4: to you and showed you the way, or only did it only one migrant who is my neighbor? I, at that time, not many Indian women were around where we lived. So, were there any Americans that were welcoming to you, or was it difficult? Um, there was one lady from Argentina who is my neighbor. She became friends with me, and uh, her name is Mariana Geiger. And so it was actually another immigrant. Another, yeah. We went around and she showed me around. What are the great things about immigrating and what are the bad things? I think I don't see any bad things, to be honest, miss, except missing my family. Children are what you raise them to be, wherever you are.
0: I'm, so, how would Hari be different if you'd raised him in India?
3: I probably wouldn't have been a comedian. That's for sure. <laughs>
2: Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN.
1: Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned
3: litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter.
2: Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.
3: I mean you told me a story about a uh, there was a it was an older white man that you met at the library. Yes. That first year.
4: Yes. I was preparing for the test, and I used to go to library.
3: To become a doctor. Yeah,
4: yeah. and then he was there, and he used to see me because I'm still, like, coming from a village from India. And somehow, he used to talk to me. Mr. Grunetti, his name was. And somehow, we made friends. And he's uh, 80 or more at that time. And we went to go to coffee and then he used to tell me his experiences in America and how he was raised and times have changed and I used to tell him my stuff from back home and you were born and he was part of my first three, four years of my life and one day he never came and I never saw him again. I still remember his kind face and his kindness and how we got along like an older man guiding the younger woman who is new. Occasionally I still remember him and was thankful for his time with me.
3: What kind of things did he talk to you about? And
4: like how it's difficult for me. It's not like teaching me anything, but how life is and what to expect. And uh, you'll do well and being good always is nice and you are bold and all. Nice things. And it's nothing like he can teach me but a lot I learned but like from being nice to people is good and then you can always depend on somebody who has experience and that's when I realized which I already knew that people are people no matter what color they are only thing that matters to me is whether they are sincere, honest and is their affection for you is real or not I think you can sense it that made me like a good friend to him and I met many people later on which I'm free with and made good friends in life. It's interesting that you remember that man though who was kind, like he
0: stands out. Uh, We recently recorded an episode where somebody read some memoirs of her grandmother and she'd actually survived the Holocaust as a little girl and she'd ended up then going to Paris as a refugee and then to the UK as a refugee where she'd settled and and had a family. And um, she remembered in her memoirs all of these people who'd been kind. And some of the acts of kindness were so small, it could be like somebody gave her some bread or someone else smiled at her and encouraged her or helped her or gave her a lift or something like that. And her granddaughter, Charlotte, who was on the show, said, I would love to go back and thank all those people Mm -hmm. who were kind to my nonna when she was a little girl, but I can't. All I can do is be kind now to refugees who are in that same situation and it's true whether you're a refugee or whether you're another sort of immigrant, if you are pitching up somewhere new, somebody being kind, somebody helping you out when you don't know what you're doing means so much to you. There's a story about Maya Angelou when she was little and she was very traumatised and she wouldn't talk for like five years and this lady drove her to the library and told her to read all the books and I always think we can't all be Maya Angelou but we can all be the lady who no, drives I'm the little girl gone. to the library. Yes. And that's what we should aspire to be. And your story, which is such a warm story, that's actually very heartening to me. And I think now there are times where I feel with what's happening in America and the way that it's swinging so far for the right and immigrants are being demonised in such an extreme way, do you fear what will happen in America? Are you nervous about the way that things are going?
4: Yes, it's not easy and I feel for the kids who are growing up now. And young children, they don't know what they see, they absorb, And what are they learning from the atmosphere now? It trickles from top to bottom. You look up to somebody who you see every day on television saying something ridiculous or putting down somebody, you're not teaching the next generation the right thing. Mm -hmm. And leave alone refugees, and that's a different issue. You can't even respect the migrants who are already here Mm -hmm. in the country. That makes me feel more sad, because these people are already here. They have every right to expect what other people are getting, white, black, brown, whatever why are you separating and causing rift between the people? I think that's one thing they need to address it. Family separation. Yeah. And about refugees, it's very, very sad. It's a world problem, I think. It's not just America, whatever. Oh, yeah, it's a totally global problem. It's a, global, a, it's problem, a yeah. global problem. Just taking somebody is not enough. You are, people think that, okay, I, this country absorbs us or... Will be okay. It's not just enough just taking them. Education, healthcare, where they live, how to make them feel one of us. These are all the things they need to think financially, health wise, and emotionally. That's a very rough path from there to here, not knowing where they are going. I think everybody just can think of help one person like in any way. In the long run, politicians, of course, they need to make bigger plans and be firm. And when you have resources, accept at least partially.
3: I mean, I think that's been the hard part about a lot of what's been happening is the scapegoating for political reasons. I mean, I was just in Denmark and hearing stories about, you know, uh, children of immigrants. There's this idea to make sure they take classes about how to properly be Danish. Classes that their peers whose parents aren't immigrants don't have to take. And the idea that they have to learn, this is what Easter is, this is what Christmas is. In a country that is mostly atheist, uh, from what I know, but yet they still have to know, this is what we do here. Uh, There was a story about they wanted refugees to help pay for their own upkeep, people who barely survived. So women with jewelry, for example, would give some of that jewelry away for their own, something they probably... uh,
4: Cherish, Ra- from Cherish. Yeah. And that's
3: the only I've with. got, yeah, yeah. And, they, and this is the one thing, and we have to give that up after everything we've been through. There's such an insensitivity and cruelty. And I think it's interesting that people are very open and tolerant and accepting, and I've seen this in Europe in particular, when it's not in your actual hometown, when it's not in your backyard. Oh, we give aid to everyone. We send all our people there to help. But if it's in our backyard, we don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting to think about the criticisms the US has gotten, there are many and, and they're right on. But it is interesting because the US has always had to deal with the clash of different cultures. It's a nation built on genocide and slavery and violence. right? And so we've had to deal with these issues of integration from the very beginning. It's interesting to see kind of what's happening in Europe now when we forget that, no, keeping the traditions of other cultures alive in your society potentially could also lead to a richer society. And when you see places like Denmark and and Sweden, you know, there's this idea we have to preserve our culture. Well, I see Swedish hip-hop. Was that part of your culture? I hear you speaking English. Where did that come from? So it's really selective, and it's about who has the power to control the narrative and who has the power to control the culture. And that, to me, is incredibly sad and racist. And, and to hear my mom say something which I, I, I support, I mean, at the end of the day, we're talking about how do you give human beings the bare minimum for survival to succeed? That's not asking very much.
0: Hello, this is Deborah Frances White. I am briefly interrupting the podcast. Now, people often complain they cannot get tickets for The Guilty Feminist. But this Thursday, the 11th of April, there's a show at the Utter Belly on the South Bank in London at 9.15pm, which has not yet sold out. It's only recently gone on sale. Sarah Pascoe and I are co-hosting The Guilty Feminist, and it's a very, very special one. We are interviewing Helen Clarkson, who's the CEO of The Climate Group, an international organization whose sole mission is to slow climate change. And it's not long been on sale and you can get tickets. There are still tickets available. They won't be for very long. Get in as soon as you can. You can go to guiltyfeminist.com or check the Atterbelly website. It's going to be a really exciting one. We've wanted to look at climate change for a long time. It really is going to be phenomenal. Get tickets while you can. Thanks to everyone who's come out to see Say My Name at Odeons around the country and everyone who's come up to say hi after the Q&A. You are all awesome. There's two more screenings, one at the Oxford Odeon on Magdalen Street on Tuesday, the 16th of April. The film starts at 8pm, but get there a little early because there are no ads or trailers and you don't want to miss the beginning. I'll be doing a and a at the end and happy to sign any books, uh, pets, body parts. Please come and say hi. Tickets are available at guiltyfeminist.com or at the Odeon website. And please save the date if you are in or can get to London. Tuesday, April 23rd, there is a gala screening, Dress Glam!, There'll be a red carpet where you can have your picture taken and it's a celebration with Amnesty International. That night, we will be making a very special announcement about the Guilty Feminist and Amnesty going forward. It's going to be a really exciting star-studded night. Do not miss it if you can. Tickets will be available soon and will be on for as little as £10, £15. Please, please come along April 23rd. Now back to the podcast.
3: Please put your hands together for hurry (laughs) Kudabalu! Hello. Are we all excited to be here still? I know some of you are excited to see comedy. Some of you are excited that there's something to do in Geneva. (laughs) What did you do last night? Something. Oh, jealous. People ask me if I get nervous before I do shows, and I don't anymore, uh, because I already had the worst show of my life, so it can't get worse than that. I was in Aarhus, Denmark. Show was going terribly. All of a sudden, in the middle of my show, this guy stands up and he yells, Hey! Go back to America! Wow. (laughs) That's incredible. Because I've been told to go back to so many countries, and (laughs) never to America. I've been told to go back to Iraq, Afghanistan, <laughs> Libya, whatever country the U.S. is bombing, I'm told to go back there <laughs> at the worst time to go back. <laughs> Hoping that's an anti-bombing clap, okay. I love uh, touring internationally, but I don't really like the long lines of bureaucracy of immigration and customs. Apparently Australia is the worst at this because Australia is so far from the rest of the planet that they're really strict about you not bringing in plants or fruit into their country because they're worried if foreign bodies enter Australia, they'll kill people and destroy the environment. Which is a very fair point because if you ask the aboriginals, they would tell you that sometimes foreign bodies enter Australia and they kill people and destroy the environment. I know what you're all thinking, Hari Kunabolu, why are you wasting our time with this? You know what question we want you to answer. Hari Kunabolu, why does your skin look so beautiful? (laughs) I will tell you, it's cocoa butter. I've been using cocoa butter. Just the other day, I went to the supermarket to get some more cocoa butter, when I noticed the cocoa butter had been moved to the ethnic needs section. Of my supermarket, I, of course, was confused by this, because I saw ethnic needs. I'm like, great, end of police brutality, more access to health care, more educational opportunities. <laughs> Finally, the day has arrived in America. I'm surprised it's at the supermarket. <laughs> it wasn't it was just shampoo and cocoa butter. I love cocoa butter because it makes me smell like chocolate. I, of course love chocolate for political reasons. Because the average American is still depicted as white. You see that in film, and you see that in television, right? In the media, the average American is still depicted as white. That's why I like chocolate, because when you first think of chocolate, you think of something brown. And if you think of white chocolate first, then you're a fucking racist. (laughs) Who thinks of white chocolate in that situation? And that brings up the bigger issue, why did we need white chocolate to begin with? It's chocolate, man, it's great. Why would you need to make white chocolate? Do you love the taste of chocolate, but can't stand looking at it? Well then try some white chocolate. It's from the people that brought you white Jesus. Now, as you can imagine, Geneva, that joke doesn't work in most of America. I was doing that joke in a small town in rural Pennsylvania. The show was not a complete failure, and I know that because I'm still alive. It didn't go well, and after the show, this man comes up to me, he's like, "Hey, I just want you to know I don't like your white Jesus joke." I knew we had an issue because I've always considered that my white chocolate joke. The fundamental difference of opinion. I'm like, "Why do you not like my joke?" And he's like, "Well, I don't agree with you. I think Jesus was white." I'm like, "That's fine. You can believe whatever you want to believe. I don't believe in gravity." But you don't see me flying. You can believe whatever you want to believe, but the facts are the facts. Both Jesus' parents are from the Middle East. For all intents and purposes, they were brown. Two brown people cannot create a fucking Swedish tennis player. (laughs) Why does Jesus look like Bjorn Borg for no reason? And I explained this to him, and he's like, Look, I'm not an idiot, which was debatable at this point. (laughs) He's like, look, I'm not an idiot, I understand what you're saying, but here's the thing, Jesus' mother Mary, she was from the Middle East. She can be brown, but his father, his father wasn't Joseph, right? His father was God, and God, as we all know, is white. Now I should have ended the conversation at this point, but I didn't, because I wanted to know how this future joke was going to end. I said, you do realize what you're saying is ridiculous, right? Mixing brown and white doesn't create white. Any child or racist could tell you that. I mean, that's the way the world has historically worked. But let's say I was to agree with you that somehow a brown woman and a white man created a white Jesus. I will only agree that Jesus Christ is white if you agree that Barack Obama is as white as Jesus Christ. And after presenting that man with his own logic, I think it's pretty fair to assume that this man was so racist, he no longer believed in God. (laughs) Mission accomplished. Oh, thanks. People often ask, well, what religion are you? And uh, I'm a Hindu, or as it's pronounced in America, Muslim. My worry about that joke is there are people in the audience who are like, why did he say Muslim twice? (laughs) Nice to be in Switzerland. I keep hearing that the Swiss have the best chocolate in the world. But I'm thinking about it. What makes it Swiss exactly? Cocoa beans come from West Africa. Sugar comes from Latin America and Asia, right? And I don't know if you all know this, but cocoa beans and sugar, they do the heavy lifting in chocolate. So what part's Swiss exactly? Is it this part? (laughs) I'm Swiss. Switzerland has a rich stirring history. (laughs) All right, Switzerland. I was in London uh, last week. When I got to London, I was told to be careful because they have a knife problem there. Be careful, be careful where you walk at night. There's a lot of stabbings. And I'll tell you as an American who deals with mass shootings, Wasn't so impressed. (laughs) What's that? People die one at a time. From up close. How quaint. They buy baseball bats in the United Kingdom, which I find very troubling since they don't play baseball there. Which means those bats are being used solely for violence. I think if you buy a baseball bat in the UK, you should have to answer key questions like Hey, why do you wanna buy that baseball bat? To play baseball. How do you play baseball? You swing at the brain. Okay, you don't get a bat. You don't get a (laughs) bat. I I wanna talk about Brexit, um, but I'm in a weird position because as a person with Indian heritage, I really enjoy British failure and suffering. But as an American, I have like no ground to stand on at this point. It just feels weird that the UK left the EU because they barely gave up anything to be in the EU. They kept their currency, they didn't sign onto the Schengen Agreement, right? So they still controlled their borders. So they barely gave up anything. They were barely in the EU to begin with. Basically the UK leaving the EU is like Nightcrawler leaving the X-Men. Oh no, not Nightcrawler. Anybody but Nightcrawler. Now who's gonna crawl <laughs> that night? A lot of it, of course, was about immigration, right? People didn't want to deal with immigration in their country and they falsely thought that the EU had something to do with it, right? America, it's the same kind of paranoia, which is why Trump got elected. And you see the racism, That it doesn't even make sense. The racism directed towards Mexican people, like it doesn't make any sense. Like you hear people say, Mexicans are lazy but you also hear Mexicans steal all the jobs. How do those two things work together? How can you be lazy and still magically steal all the jobs? Well that's easy, some Mexicans are lazy, some Mexicans work really hard. Oh, you mean like all people, like all human beings. If your argument is that Mexicans are like all human beings, well then you're just a really shitty racist. That's some piss poor racism. Maybe you should get out of the racism game, or hire a Mexican person to be racist for you, because you couldn't handle it. Immigrants are depicted in these really weird ways. It's always about economics. It's always about change. It's never about like the depth of their character. That's why it was really cool to have my mom on stage because my mom is incredibly funny, right? And that to me is her defining characteristic. Like my mother is the funniest person I know. My mom's the reason why I'm funny. My dad's the reason I have anxiety. But my mom, <laughs> mom's the reason why I'm funny. So before I end my set, since my mom is. Here with me, I wanted to end by reading a few things my mother has said to me recently. Here are a few of my mom jokes. Uh, So this is a little while back, I said to my mom, hey mom, sorry I didn't call earlier this week. And she said, it's okay, it was a relief. (laughs) And then uh, this other time I said, mom, are you disappointed I didn't achieve more academically? She said, no, because half of your genes were an obstacle to overcome. (laughs) And then uh, on the 4th of July in America, I said, happy Independence Day, mom. And she said, thanks, son, but I lost my independence 36 years ago. (laughs) unrelated side note, I am 36 years old. Thank you very much, Geneva. You've been wonderful.
0: remembering if people are refugees the risk of going forward it has to be greater than the risk of staying where they are or going back and to be just to have a basic humanity about that these borders they're arbitrary someone made them up it's they're not real uh we're all human beings and so i want to celebrate this with you uh you and i are both migrants because i went from australia to the uk and you went from india to america this one isn't just american yes how are you feeling about being just american right now
3: harry Oh, uh, for the last two years, not good.
0: Yeah. (laughs) And on that note, thank you so much, the wonderful, wonderful Uma Kondabolu.
4: Thank you. (laughs) And
0: thank you for inventing this feminist man, because I give you all the credit for the wonderfulness that is Hari Kondabolu. Thank you, thank you. That applause is for Uma. (laughs) She made him. She made him. You have been listening to The Guilty Feminist with me, Deborah Frances White, guest co-host Hari Kondabolu, and our very special guest, Uma Kondabolu. The recording engineer was Julian Way. Music was by Mark Hodge. The producer was Tom Selinsky for The Spontaneity Shop. Thanks to Christina McGillivray and everyone at the United Nations, as well as all of you for listening. For more information about this and other episodes, visit guiltyfeminist.com. Um, I sounded a little disappointed. I heard like a little bit of disappointment coming from you because I can see that they now both very much want to be the mother of your children as the first male host of the, the Guilty Feminist. Is that, is that the case? Have I read that rightly? A little bit? That's been confirmed. That's been confirmed. Hmm? Just for her? Why you've, Have you ruled hurry out?
3: I've barely said anything yet.
0: Have you, do you, are, you, are, you, are you one of you in a relationship? Let's hope it's that. I'm not as easy as she is. <laughs> I actually heard her say I'm not as easy as she is. Wait, That's oh. the most I'm a feminist butt thing I've ever heard. <laughs> oh,
3: my God. What, the, what does wanting to have my baby have to do with being easy? I'm, I'm a catch. <laughs>
0: Now the Guilty Feminist is going on tour. These epic shows will not be recorded, so you'll have to come and see them for yourself to know what's in them. We have a fantastic lineup of guest comedians and singers for you. Here are just a few of them.
3: I'm Alison Spittle, and
0: uh, I'm going to be seeing you on tour. Uh, with the Guilty Feminist Tour, and I'm so excited about
1: it. Um, there's some places I've never been to, like Halifax, oh, like the back. I'm going to be there on the 1st of May, so I'm very excited about that. And that's on a Wednesday, I like Wednesdays. And then on the 3rd of May, on Friday, I'm going to be in
0: Hull. Now, I've been to Hull, I love Hull, you have a great aquarium there, and I'm so
1: excited, hopefully I'll get the time and check out the, the fishes. Uh, then I'm going to be in Newcastle the next day on the 4th of May. Then I'm not going to be there for ages. It's the 25th of May that I'm going to see you and that's going to be in Plymouth. And then I'm going to be in Glasgow on the 29th of May. All right,
0: I'll see you. Bye. It's Athena you here and I am thrilled to be joining the Guilty Feminist on the south end leg of the Guilty Feminist Tour. It's on the 12th of May and I cannot wait. Hello, I'm Heidi Regan um, and I'm very excited to be joining the Guilty Feminist tour on the 16th of May in Cambridge
1: and the 30th of May in Leicester. I can't wait. I think it's going to be amazing. Thank you. Well, hello. Um, I'm Jenny Eclair, just
0: checking then. I need to wear a name badge I can't remember who I am, where I am I'm at home at the moment but guess what, on the 2nd of May I won't be at home because I'm going to be in Birmingham with um, the live Guilty Feminist podcast thing on the stage, it's going to be marvellous you're an idiot if you miss it that's all I can say really um, be there, or be square as we used to say in the old days <laughs> anyway, um, I'm hugely looking forward to it and... Um, I hope you are too.
2: Hi, I'm Mifa Queen and I'm thrilled to
0: be joining the Guilty Feminist Podcast Tour in May. I'm going to be singing some songs on
2: the following dates. Thursday the 2nd of May in Birmingham, Friday the 3rd of May in Hull, Friday the 10th of May in Colchester, Friday the 17th of May in
1: Aylesbury, and Saturday the 18th of May. In Bournemouth, I'm
2: beyond excited. It's an amazing lineup um, and can't wait to see you there.
0: Hello, I'm Jessica Fosterkey. I'm excited to tell you that I'm joining the Guilty Feminist on tour. It's uh, all through May. I'll be doing a little bit of stand-up on the 9th in Ipswich, on the 15th in Cardiff, on the 16th in Cambridge, on the 17th in Aylesbury, on the 19th in Oxford. You're right, there's loads of these. On the 23rd in Sheffield and on the 24th in Coventry. See you there, please. I think it's going to be really fun.
1: Hello, I'm Katie Mulgrew and I'm thrilled to be joining the Guilty Feminist Tour when it heads to Salford on the 5th of May. It's going to be an absolute belter of a show, so
0: get
2: yourselves involved.
0: And it doesn't stop there. We have Sindhu V in Halifax Hull, Newcastle, Salford, Leicester and Nottingham. And we have Bridget Christie in Colchester, Aylesbury, Bournemouth and Southampton. We have Felicity Ward and Kimar Bob in too many places to list. We also have Angela Barnes, Jess Robinson, Grace Petrie and many more. Go to guiltyfeminist.com slash tour to see the full list
4: and to book.